Hi, some of these episodes were recorded in 2020 during lockdown. Please enjoy all of the information and the vulnerability that all of my guests showed recording during this time. Thank you so much for listening. So I think this is probably a feeling that expats might share, but there's something very familiar about the beginning stages of moving somewhere new because you're like, oh, I I know this feeling. You're listening to The Enterprising Expat, stories of women who packed up their lives and moved abroad for love, a job, or a fresh start. What does it take to build a new life and business in a new country? What does it take to go from finding your feet to thriving? Find out how each woman did it. Be inspired, whether you're an expat or digital nomad, to bloom where you're planted. Hi, Sonia, and welcome to The Enterprising Expat. Introduce yourself, please. So I am Sonia Richards. I am an instructional designer. If you haven't heard of instructional design before or you don't know what that is, I like to think of it as a cake, as building a cake, actually. It's my favorite analogy for it. So when you're making a cake, you have to do things in layers and structure it a certain way, or otherwise the the cake collapses. So I try to do that for people's expertise. So that's what I do as an instructional designer. And a lot of my work is digital. So creating online learning for individuals or for companies. Sometimes it's adapting existing material that they already have that's not digital. So I use different types of media to bring that online. And yeah, so that's what I do as an instructional designer. And I studied the learning sciences. So what that is, it's just the science behind how people learn. I like to think of it as, so I have an idea and I want that idea to get into somebody else's head. What is the fastest and quickest way and best way to get it there? And what I really like is to think about not only what's the fastest and best way, but also what's the most enjoyable way or what's the most visually appealing way or an aesthetic way to also help communicate information. And that is cool, especially the cake analogy. So two things came to mind when you said that you were designing courses online before it became the big sexy thing. Uh, Yeah, I would say that that's that's true. I really began helping companies create online learning for their employees. So creating a course for companies follows the same principles and the same tools and techniques as an individual creating a course or a small organization or a small nonprofit creating an online course. You are an enterprising expat and you are self-employed, but we're going to start at the beginning of your journey. Your first trip, it was to Greece. How did that feel to leave home? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I think that was where the addiction to this addiction to loving being abroad really started. Expats would probably agree about is when you're living abroad, the learning that goes on is just like through the roof, I think. Also, what is so appealing to me about living abroad is because there's just like this constant influx of novelty and, and again, learning about new things, about parts of history that we didn't know before, parts of culture, parts of food, parts of language. The journey to Peru. How did that come about? So I was working in the U.S. and I had studied international development and 
actually worked for a short amount of time in Washington, D.C. at a development firm there. Like, it didn't make much sense to me to work in an office in Washington, D.C., and the projects were all happening in remote areas of the world. It just that there was a big disconnect to me. That's something that's really stuck with me, this disconnect. I want to be where the action is. I guess that's my way of putting it. But anyways, I found an opportunity to go to Peru and it was an area that I had visited before. So sometimes I think when you're in that position where you're really choosing where to go with no restriction, like with nothing, you don't have a partner, you don't have a job that's already pulling you somewhere or you're just completely looking at the world and you're like, I can go wherever I would like to go. That can be kind of an overwhelming thing, I think, because there are so many options. So it made it a little bit easier for me because it was a place that I had been to before. I already spoke Spanish. I knew it was a beautiful area. So anyways, that's how I got to Peru. And I was there in the Sacred Valley for almost two years. What was the reaction of friends and family um, when you said you were going to Peru? Uh, From my family, I think they were like, okay, we knew this was coming. (laughs) 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 When can we visit? So I think they were. So, yes, I definitely come from a family of travelers and got my love of traveling from from my family. But friends, I have a a lot of friends who like traveling, but... I think I'm pretty, uh, I'm trying to think of others who have really like lived abroad and no one comes to mind. So friends wise, no, they maybe some good trips, but living abroad, full-time living abroad and working abroad long-term, not, not for everyone. Outside of work, how did you build your, your social life? What is everyday life Mm -hmm. like? You know, I think it's one of those things. What I've come to learn living different places is that for some reason, for whatever reason, some places fitting into the social fabric is sometimes really easy in some places and sometimes really not easy. For me, there was a strong group of people who there's also quite the selection effect, like the people who choose to move to rural Peru with out lots of luxuries and yes hot showers and things like that yes are pretty easygoing open friendly people for the most part that i found maybe that's a, a generalization but but it's a good one it was <laughs> yeah it was in peru the first month was still moving pains but for the most part it got really easy pretty quickly to meet people it is hugely helped by the fact that I speak Spanish and spoke Spanish before. So even small exchanges, when you're able to have those small human to human exchanges with people you don't know in a, in their language, mm. that feels really good. So that also made it easy. So for you, is it easier to navigate a new country and social as a single woman? Or is it easier to navigate it if you are part of a couple? I think it's easier to do it as a single woman, to be honest, Mm. and or as a single person. And I've thought about that before. I think part of what makes it easier is you're kind of forced to, because if you're somewhere alone, you have to go and you don't have like someone at home to keep you company. So you need to go 
out and you're much more motivated to go out and make friends. And yeah, that's my take. I think it's a bit easier to do it when you're alone. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> I, I think, but I think it's right. It's that element of, am I going to sit at home all night and reread this book for the third time? Or am I going to take a chance and just, you know, I, I need to hear another human being's voice. It's, it, it's just kind of that simple, I guess. Yeah. And maybe another element of it, it's also like living. I always lived with roommates. And so just by default, I would get to meet people pretty easily just because I had roommates or I lived with a host family, which you can obviously do that as a couple. But I, at least I feel like there's a little bit more of a tendency to, okay, we have our own place. (laughs) We'll write a blog post, like five things you must do as a single woman. (laughs) I like that. Let's do it. (laughs) So from Peru. Sure. So this is, that's where the husband comes into play a little bit. Basically he is German and then was moving back to Germany. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, you you came to Peru, so I guess I can give Germany a try for a while. That turned into five years and, <laughs> <laughs> and getting married. And yeah, as Peru was wrapping up, that was just kind of the logical, quote unquote, next step for, for us as a couple. And I wasn't ready for sure. I definitely wasn't ready to go back to the U.S., Yeah. So that was what brought me to Germany. Go into the what was something that that kind of tripped you up that you you can only know, like if a local explains it to you. Okay, Hmm, I'm thinking. Well, one thing that I think is kind of it's kind of a sweet thing to me is this very strict rule of you should only cross the street when the sign like when it says to cross. And I remember asking, I, I asked my husband, I was like, is it always so strict? Like, what if there's no no cars around and there's like a completely empty street? And he said, he's like, well, you just really don't want to do it if there's any children around. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, because you don't want the children to learn like the bad habit to cross the street when it's not green. There's even some signs that are like, it says it in German. It's like, be a good example in front of kids. Like, don't, cross the street when the sign is red. We wait until it's green. I don't know. Like that to me is very, a very sweet example of <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yes. I love that. that. That is, yeah. you're right. That's so but then what was life like? So I did what a lot of native English speakers do when they move abroad. They start teaching English. And I did that. This was after you know, I'd already tried working professionally in my given area, but I just wasn't able to find work that was still connected to international development that was in English. And we were living in Cologne, which is a fairly international city, but not as international as some of the other bigger cities in Germany. So I did a one month certification course to teach English. And after that, I basically, I worked as a, a freelance English teacher. So I would find my own agreements with language schools, but I taught independently as well. And, you know, then you're in charge of all of your own things like taxes and all of that fun stuff. But 
yeah, that was completely independent and based on me and my agreements with teaching through language schools. I did that and that took a few months to get visa things sorted out. But for the most part, even though nobody likes doing paperwork and that was sometimes painful, it was fairly, it wasn't very difficult. It was okay. It was totally manageable. And that's where having local support and a partner that can help with language stuff and paperwork that obviously is, was very helpful. Wasn't expecting how much I really enjoyed not only teaching, but also the the training part. And that was really where this fascination with the magic trick of people learning really started. I'm like, this is so cool. Like this is the way I share information changes the way people receive it. Like the order that I present something makes a difference in how people retain it and how they understand it. And yeah, that was really where that I got to see that really happen, which was really cool. And I still my whole body like gets excited thinking about that. I call it like it's a magic trick. Like all of a sudden this person didn't know what present perfect was, but now <laughs> now they do because of this lesson, which I still think is so cool. So do I. I want to look at the space in between when sure. you got to Germany and you, you know, you were looking for jobs in your field. Tell me about that space in between. Really the time between. Yeah. So I actually, when I landed in Germany, I actually started, I didn't move to Germany until I had my language training set up. So I actually, my first month in Germany was my month long intensive English language training course. So right from the beginning of my time there, I already started with that as as an option or as like the option that I knew I was going to pursue while also I did look at other things but I just kept hitting the roadblock of language and it just didn't seem like I would be able to do something until I knew more of the language and I just I think I felt like I needed to do something in the meantime even if I didn't plan on doing it forever. I wanted to have something that I could do as soon as possible. Yes. If that makes sense. I also am a big believer in like tools in my toolkit. So for me, getting that certification was, and it it was another tool that I could use if and when I needed to. And that's actually, I still feel like that as I move other places. I mean, I do, you know, I focus on instructional design, but I I like knowing that I have this other certification and it connects, often connects. I have a project now that connects the two with online learning and language. So how did you feel about being self-employed? Was that something that was a scary step for you? In that situation, the product is so well established and the demand is so well established. Like you know exactly what you're selling. You're so it's it's not like not like now where you I have to think more of like how to even get people to understand what it is that I do. That it's so clear. It's like I teach English. I these are my target groups. This is my again, this is my product. It's a, it's very to me, it's very clear cut. It was a nice transition to working independently because while I had to manage several aspects of it, it's not like it had never been done before. It was there was a, a model I could follow, so to speak. I'm not sure why, but when anybody tells me like they are teaching English, I, I always just seem to think of kids and I'm not sure why. I think that comes up for learning stuff in general. It's a, it's there's We tend to think of learning only for kids, but 
I actually only, I really focus on adult learning because the brain keeps growing so we can keep learning forever. (laughs) So, which I think is also cool. From Germany and building up your independent practice, teaching English Mm -hmm. to, to business people. How does Japan come into the mix? So I was basically, I was doing English teaching and it was going on for about two years and I, I liked it and I really enjoyed it. I had found this program that was in Germany in English and it was about the learning sciences and it was a master's program and it was research focused. And Germany is a wonderful country that offered masters for almost nothing. And I was eligible to do that program. So if anyone's thinking about doing a master's, check out Germany because they're, (laughs) yeah, very affordable. And within the first six months, I was even able to work as a student. So yeah, I applied. I wasn't sure if I would get in, but I got in. And then I moved to Munich and I got to get the best of both worlds because I moved to Munich before my, my husband did. So I got to get to know people independently and go to all those coffee shops and drink coffee <laughs> at them. And then eventually, I think about four months later than my uh, husband moved over to Munich and Munich for three years and also worked full time there as an instructional designer. And that was with the company. So that's where I really learned how to apply what I had focused on in the master's program in terms of using digital technologies and media to create online courses. And now in Japan, because of what I do, it's actually been pretty easy to get projects going because there is such a demand for creating online learning. And also it applies to in-person training. And again, there's learning and everything. So you can really apply these principles to just about everything. What was the motivation to Let's pack up our bags and move to Japan. That was my husband. So it's funny because we're both from different countries, but we both have this affinity for not living in our own countries, which makes it difficult (laughs) to decide where to live because he had lived in Asia before and he had lived in the U.S. for, I think, almost five years. He had spent living abroad, so he was really ready to go abroad again. And I had never lived in Asia. So that definitely had a big appeal. So we came over, I am legally allowed to work as an independent consultant, as a freelance independent consultant doing my own projects, as long as I declare all of that. And it never, it can't go over like a certain amount. So if I, which is of course limiting, but also good for transition period to get to that amount or get to that level. As long as it is all declared and filed. And if I start making amount, which would be great making like twice as much as my husband, then that would be maybe a problem. Yeah. So technically I'm on a dependent visa. So that's part of it. And there are some like time restrictions, but again, as long as it's documented and done with the tax office, it's all acceptable which is great. So it would seem that in Japan, there is leeway for kind of, you know, the 
the other spouse, the trailing spouse, yeah. if you if you like. It's it's not just a one way <laughs> ticket to boredom and ladies' lunches. Thankfully, no. <laughs> just to respond that way, that that wouldn't that would have been a harder harder pill to swallow. But no, it's actually very. Again, there's this like one stop business office that they have in Tokyo that. I was able to go to and ask all of my questions and get that information and basically just say, I want to use my my skills here and how can I use them and what's allowed? And no, they were really supportive and very helpful. And and actually they even said like if it gets to if it gets to the point that it is, I am just raking it in, just you know, it's it's also pretty easy to get a like a highly skilled visa. So that was also very clear. They have a very nice like point system. And if you meet the number of points, then you can apply for that visa and carry on from there. So life in Japan, what is what has hit you? What do you what do you love? What are you learning? I like the way you put that. What do you love? What are you learning? This I mean, there's a lot of things to love about Japan. I love the details that I see in things, the, like the, whether it's the design details or the art, the, or in the food, there's just such attention to detail that it makes me stop and think of like the time, the thought process behind this tiny detail that I'm enjoying. Like I'm trying to think of a good example, but I don't know if you buy some food at a store and the way it's like packaged up so carefully and like tenderly and so well thought out so that nothing spills and nothing is messed up. And it's like this perfect shape when you get home. And that's just one example of this really, really huge attention to detail that I see here. And I'm very grateful that people here are so gracious to my very limited Japanese and so friendly. And please just say your social media and and how people can get in touch with you and, and your website. Sure. So the best way for people to get in touch with me is probably by email. So that's Sonia, S-O-N-Y-A. Sonia gets spelled a lot with an I or a J, but it's with a Y, uh, at Thinkativity. And that's just like think it, <laughs> think and then activity. So, and I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not that, that active there yet. But I can also be reached through Thinkativity on Instagram. Yeah. So that's the best way to reach me. Sonia at Thinkativity.com. 